parenting. Here we go again. Now, guys, I'm I'm gonna I'm wanting you to have an idea about Luke chapter two and what, the material that's here and what it says about Christ. And so I'm going to read just a, a few verses to you from here in way of reminder. Now we're we're headed in this direction. We're not going to. We're not going to so much deal with this text today. We're going to deal with some other texts. But I want to just read some of these verses because I want you to see. I want you to get this idea in your minds as parents. I want you to get this idea in your minds as children. I want you to get this idea in your minds as people, as Christians. Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. The child, Jesus, is the child here. He grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. The Bible tells us that we should be filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon Him. Proverbs 3 talks about us pursuing those paths that lead us to the favor of God and man. Now, move down a little bit to verse 47. Jesus had stayed behind at the time of the Passover and He was speaking with the teachers in the temple. And in verse 47, all who heard Him were amazed at His understanding. Again, the Proverbs stress not only wisdom, but understanding. I realize sometimes they're used somewhat synonymously, but He had an understanding that was just amazing. We are to have an understanding. Do you remember how David could say something about his um, having greater understanding than even his teachers. God would have that for us. Now look in verse 49. And He said to them, Why were you looking for Me? Do you not know that I must be... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the King James verse. About My Father's business or in My Father's house. That was another trait of Christ. He was, he was one given to His Father's business. He had to be in His Father's house. He had to be about that which pertained to His Father. And then the last one is verse 52. Jesus, again we have this idea of wisdom. It's repeated for us. Not only was He filled with wisdom, He was increasing in wisdom. That's what the Scriptures tell us that too. We should have wisdom, but we should also get wisdom. We should be increasing. And in stature and in favor with God and man. And really those things are kind of repeated. The reason I want to touch on those is because eventually I'm going to get to the example of Christ and the importance that that is in our parenting and to each one of us, we know that as disciples we are called to follow Him. We're going to look at that. I'm wanting to keep Christ central here because I see the more I study this, the more I realize the Word of God is doing just that. I want to start out this week really where I left off last week. Stress that for our parenting to be biblical, which I tell you, I'm going to show you more and more as these weeks go by, what is biblical. I want to stress what is biblical and what is pleasing to God. And you can't be biblical or pleasing to God in any aspect of your life, I'll guarantee this, unless you are Christ-centered. I want to... Th- I, I, you know, 
Guys, I want us to throw off this world's mentalities of parenting. Most of us have way too much of the world's philosophies and the world's mindsets and the world's ideas when it comes to child rearing. It's true. You may not think you do, but I, I will just guarantee you, you have lots of worldliness in your mindset. And especially like I've, I've emphasized to this church before, the very fact that most of us, and now that the Hewitts are gone, it might be all of us. Were, were any of you in this room raised in a godly family? One. That's it. Two. Raised in a godly family. So you know what? Most of what we know before we were saved, everything. I mean, it came from a worldly mindset as far as our parenting. We don't have that. Hear me carefully, guys. I want to say this to you. I want this to, I want this to enter in. The world and modern psychology have nothing to offer us when it comes to parenting. Nothing. 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 When the world tells us it has nothing to offer us. Not at all. Hear what God's Word says. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't. And you know what, Christian parents? You are constantly under a barrage. You constantly have these wave after wave after wave hitting you to conform to the parenting standards of the world. You guys know it. You have child protective services out there putting pressure on people. You have social workers. You have the state. They all come at us with their parenting standards. And you know what? You have lost spouses. And you have unsaved parents. And... Christ-rejecting grandparents and ungodly acquaintances and co-workers and lost and non-Christian aunts and uncles. You guys know you have these folks out there that all have their ways. You have the educators, the psychologists, the psychiatrists. All thrown, and then, you know, then we have Hollywood. We have the media. We have all that garbage that comes. They want to have their hand in how we raise our children. And they have all their ideas. And again, I'll tell you guys, the world, the state, the lost, and the media, they have nothing at all to offer us as parents. And I know somebody's going to say, wait a second. Wait a second. That's an overstatement. Is it? Is that an overstatement? Sometimes we forget the reality of our warfare, folks. The world is not our friend. The whole world, John says, lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lost mother-in-laws and lost spouses and lost grandmas. You know what? The, you know what God's word says about them? Dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world. This is Ephesians two one. In following, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience by nature, children of wrath. You, might, you guys might say, well, that's just sweet old grandma. 
I'm telling you, but if sweet old grandma is outside of Christ, if she's not a Christian, she has nothing to offer you. And she is not going to be for your cause. And she is not going to be behind the way you do everything. You say, well, wait a second. Sometimes they say some, you know, I have a lost mother that says some things sometimes that, that, that are, they're okay. Listen, folks, that's just exactly Satan's tactics. Satan doesn't come at you and tell you all lies. He wants to mix a little bit of truth. You remember how it was when he came to, to Eve? What did, he, what did he tell her? God doesn't exist. Tree of knowledge of good and evil doesn't exist. And that's not what he said. You know what he said? He doesn't deny the existence of God. It's hard to deny the existence of God when you've got two people that walked in the cool of the day with him. So he doesn't go there. Yea, hath God said... And you know what he told them? He says, God knows in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened. You know what? He wasn't lying because the Scripture says once they ate, their eyes were opened. He was telling the truth, folks. Oh, but he slid in this. You will not die. You see, in all that he said, there was a lot of truth there. And the world might come at us and there might be some truth in what they say. Listen, folks, if you say that the world has something to offer us and yet the world is specifically said in the Bible to be in the power of the evil one, then what you're saying is the devil has something to offer you on how to raise your children. And that's just simply not the fact. Now, God's Word has everything to say. Let me ask you this. What could the world possibly offer us when it comes to parenting? I mean, let's be realistic about it. Does it have more wisdom than God gives us in the Bible? Listen to what God says. Paul says this about God. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I think most of us agree. We talked about this last week. I think most of us would agree. The thing that we want most for our children is what? I want my little ones to enjoy the pleasures of being in the presence of God and having eternal life forever and ever. You know what? You want what's best for your children. You like to see your children happy. You like to see them joyful. You like to see them laugh. I want my children to have that forever. I want them to have a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. I want that my children should be saved from their sins. I mean, don't you guys want that? Now, no doubt, the world offers us its ideas about how our children can be happy. But I want to ask you something. Does, does the world offer us better solutions to how our children should have eternal life? Better solutions to how they should be saved? I mean, they have their ideas. They have their solutions. But what I'm asking you is, are they better? They're not better. They're not. It cannot offer us better in advice and better counsel than the all-wise God has given us in His Word. Do you want the devil helping you raise your children? I don't. I don't. And this is exactly what happens when the world influences our parenting. The world is in the power of the evil one. Folks, we must renew our minds. Especially because most of us, except for two people in this room, none of us were raised in a Christian environment. None of us. We don't have the example We didn't have godly parents. We didn't have the Bible read to us. We didn't see how this was done on us. 
We don't have that. We need to erase, folks. That's what the Scripture says in Romans 12. Renew your minds. Renew your minds. Renew. Most of us have way too much garbage in here. Way too much. And you know, folks, if we can say anything about the, the Bible, I can tell you this. I, I can remember one time that... Well, I, and I just challenge you guys to do this sometime. If you're listening to a preacher preach with TV, radio, you're listening to them talk, just, you know, you know what, guys? Sometimes just think and note, how long is it before they talk about Christ? And you know, I, I remember doing that one time and I sat down, I was in the car, I think I might have had some other folks with me, but I threw in a tape of John MacArthur. I said, you guys, I'm just going to, I don't know where this tape is at, it was somewhere in the middle of the message. I said, let's push this in and see how long it is before he mentions Christ. I mean, it was like almost immediately that he, he talked about that. You guys, one thing I can tell you about the Bible is in the same manner. when you, I mean, you, crack, you guys crack your Bible and just read. And see how long it is before you read something about God or something about Christ in the New Testament. Of course, you, you won't see Christ specifically spoken of in with that proper name in the Old Testament. But you guys, one thing we know about the Bible is it is saturated with Christ. It is saturated with God. It is God-centered. Is it not? The Bible tells us in Colossians 1, I mean, you talk about it, there's, there's some places where it comes at us even more than... Colossians 1.15 and following. Folks, that is just a tremendous place in the Scripture where it speaks to us all about Christ. It tells us there that He is God. Nothing less than the image of the invisible God. And I, I spoke to you a little bit about this last week. It says there, all things are by Him, through Him, for Him. He's before all things. In Him all things hold together. He's the head, the beginning, the first. And that in everything. Remember this text? In everything. He's supposed to have the preeminence. In everything. He is to have first place. In everything, He's to have superiority. In everything. Now take this thought, folks, and we need to renew our minds. I'm not kidding. When it comes to parenting... I think there's many things that you, you know, you can easily draw from Christ on. And then there's other areas of your life where you just haven't got to the place where your mind has been renewed with that. Your, your thinking isn't there. It's like, well, you know, Christ is in your life when you come to church on Sunday morning, when you hear the singing, when you hear Brother Childs read the Scriptures, and when, in the Sunday school class. And, you know, you're, you've, got, you've got this mindset, you've got this bent, but then there can be certain places where you walk out of this place, you get in your car, and all of a sudden the kids are fighting in the back seat, and Christ doesn't even enter the mind. doesn't even come into the thoughts. God is totally out of the picture. Now all of a sudden, you're reverting back to some John Wayne style of parenting that, that you learn from your dad. And, and God and the Scriptures are out of the picture. Folks, we've got to renew our minds. That garbage has to be out. I mean, it's true. There are, there are places in your life that if you think about it, and sometimes I catch myself here too, it's all of a sudden like I find myself in some aspect of my life and it's like, wow, you know, I haven't really acknowledged the Lord in this. I kind of went ahead and I did this whole thing and I... I why? And I catch myself, Lord, I'm sorry. And 
But, but this, I think this happens in our parenting. We make decisions. We tell our kids they can or can't do something. Or we, we give some instruction to them and we realize, well, wow, that, I sounded just like my mom. Is that good? My mom wasn't God-fearing. My mom didn't teach us from the Scriptures. Was that good? I mean, we do it because Grandma did it. Mom did it. and Folks, we don't want to do it because of those reasons. We want to do it because the Scripture says we should do it that way. One thing the Scripture says is that in everything we should have a Christ-word focus. His Father's will for us is that Christ have preeminence in every aspect of your life. Every aspect. Every aspect. Does the world tell us that? I mean, I want to ask you guys something. Has lost grandma or your lost mother-in-law ever told you to raise your children with more emphasis on Christ? Ever. Mine haven't. Not ever. I mean, how about child protective services? You guys ever heard that on the 10 o'clock news where they tell you, you know what you guys really need to do is you need to go study Luke 2. I mean, we have all these outlaws in this city and they're putting graffiti all over and they're getting shot at schools. You know what you really need? You guys need to study Luke 2 and look at Jesus Christ. Did I ever tell you that? Listen to me. Christ is all. In Him and in Him alone is life and truth and help and hope. And this is what the Bible offers us. This is exactly why I say that the world has nothing to offer us. Because even when the world offers us its best, it never offers us Christ. And Christless parenting will be the death of your children. It does not offer life. It's You know, guys... The Proverbs speak about there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends, the way that, folks, it, it leads and it ends in death. Not in life at all. So, if the Bible puts so much emphasis on Christ, then we need to ask ourselves, how does all this emphasis on Christ fit into our parenting? How does this practically work out? Because, you know, we can, I can tell you theory all the time. You know, Christ-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-centered. You need to... You need to Purge your mind and get the garbage out. And you can all walk out and say, well, okay, you know, we got a little excited about that, but what do I do? I mean, how does that work? Well, what is it the Bible tells us that the world and the devil don't want us to know? Well, let me give you a hint. I mean, this is a good place for starters. Have you guys ever noticed that as you go through the various books of the New Testament, you will generally come in the very first verse of the first chapter, you will have whoever that, that writer of that book may be, he introduces himself. Paul. This is Romans 1.1. Paul. A, sometimes it's an apostle. Even, even sometimes a prisoner. But a servant. Listen to this. Paul, a servant. Paul! You're like the greatest apostle that ever lived. You're calling yourself a servant. That's exactly what he does. In fact, there's one translation that puts Paul, Jesus Christ's slave. I like that. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.1, John speaks of himself as Christ's servant. What a word. 
servant. Not just any servant. What was it that all those texts said? A servant of what? A servant of the Lord. A servant of Jesus Christ. That's what they are. The word for servant could be translated slave. It could be. The idea of that of that word is a person who gives himself up to the will of another. That's the idea. A person who gives himself up to the will of another. In our case, if we are Christians, we have given ourselves up to the will of Christ. We are the slaves and He is the Master. And guys, when we talk about renewing the mind, this is the thought that needs to control us. You know what? A slave. A slave would go about his duties and he always had a reference point in his mind. His master. What was it that his master told him to do? What was it that he wants us to do? This, folks, this should be upon our lips all the time. This should be upon our hearts, upon our minds. Guys, open your Bible to Luke 17. I want you to see, I want you to see just how much this should be on our lips. Jesus actually taught us to say this. Luke 17, verse 7. Will anyone, this is Jesus speaking to His disciples. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field? Now get the picture here. This was a day and an age when bond servants and slaves, and sometimes people went into slavery because of debt. Sometimes they willingly did it. You remember back in the Psalms, it talked about, you know, the, and in fact, we have that in the Old Testament law about that slave. But there was a, there was a, putting, a putting of a hole in the ear with an awl against the doorpost. And they did that to people who wanted to be willingly slaves. And you know, sometimes slaves had masters that they just loved so much and they gave... I mean, it was, they were practically sons to them. They didn't want to be sent off into the world. They said, no, I want to stay with my master. And so what they would do is they would drive that all through the year and that was a mark that he was forever a slave of that, that, that owner. And, and the idea here is, if you have a slave and he's out plowing your field and keeping the sheep when he comes in from the field after he's done what you told him to do, are you going to say to him, come at once and sit down at table? And you're going to, you're going to say, come on in. Now, as Christians, we might say, I, I'm, not, I'm just saying, does the world as a whole treat slaves like that? I mean, if you go back into the time of the Civil War, did, did, did the slave owners say to their slave after them picking the cotton, well, come on in now and, and sit down at my table and eat at my right hand? I mean, they did. He says, Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. And the whole point is, he's a slave. He just he did what he was supposed to do out in the field. He comes in. He shouldn't think that just because he did what I told him to do out in the field, now he comes in and sits down at the table. He's still my slave. Now he comes in and he prepares my meal. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? No, he doesn't. He's his slave. So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say. Now, notice that word right there, say. Christ is teaching us to say this. What is it He teaches us to say? We 
are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And you know, folks, not only are we unworthy servants, we haven't even done all that the Lord has told us to do. And even when we do everything perfectly, we are still unworthy servants. Because folks, you got to remember where you came from. You remember that description I gave you of old lost grandma? That was our description too. By nature, children of wrath. Unworthy. I mean, He's come to us and He's made us. This isn't to take away fact that He calls us friends. In fact, there's a place where He calls, I don't, I don't call you servant anymore. I call you my friends. And we're called His children. That doesn't take away from any of those. But you know what? Even with those things, folks, we are servants. He said we should say this. He said, and you know what? The early Christians, didn't they say it? Paul, a servant. Folks, it says we should say that. Let's say it all together. You read it right there, right after the word say, it says we. Let's all say that together. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Notice what servants do. They do that which it is their duty to do. They do what the Master instructs them to do. Whether it's with regard to parenting or any other things in their lives. Jesus says, if anyone serves Me, He must follow Me. And that's the idea. If we would serve Christ, if we would be His slaves, we must follow His lead, His instruction, His example. A good servant, folks, listen to this, a good servant is only as good as the obedience He shows to His Master. Only. The Apostle Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And he goes on to say, moreover, it is required of a servant or a steward that they be found trustworthy. Trustworthiness is the issue. That is the requirement. You remember what Christ says to His servants in the end? Those, those that are on His right hand? Well done, good and faithful servant. But you see what makes a good and faithful servant? Those who did good and were faithful. Faithfulness, goodness, and trustworthiness is always the issue with carrying out what the, what the Lord has ordered. So, He saves us. We need to be trustworthy. We're told in Matthew 24.45, He sets us over His household. We're told in Matthew 25.14 that we are entrusted with His property. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You are not your own. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Those days of living any old way you want to live are gone. And you know what? We were there. If you're lost in this room, you're living how you want to live. You are. You're, doing, you're making decisions you want to make. You run around with the people you want to run around with. You sin when you want to and how you want to. You boldly and brashly sin in the face of God. I mean, that's the mark of a lost person. We were all there. I don't point the finger at you as though somehow you're different and outside of the realm of the rest of manhood. We were all there. 
Not that that doesn't make you any less guilty. You are very guilty of your rebellion. But those days, folks, when you, when you bow the knee to Christ, those days doing things in your life any old way you want to in any old way that makes you happy, and when, even when it comes to parenting, folks, it's gone. Those days of self-will and self... Just self. We've, we need to die to self. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Nothing less than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you do not belong to yourself. Paul says in Ephesians 6.6, 6, the very mark of a blood-bought servant of Christ is to do the will of God from the heart. A servant serves his own master and he isn't concerned with what other people have to say. He isn't concerned with what mother-in-law has to say. He isn't concerned with what the teachers have to say in the educational system and with child protective services and every other thing. Folks, you understand, that's not to say a Christian can't be in the educational system or in the state or in child protective services, but I'll guarantee you this, folks, if they're in there, they're gleaning from the Word of God just like we ought to be. And they're not pulling all their resources and their stuff from the state and from the media and from Hollywood and every other thing. We don't listen to them because they're not our Master. We have one Master and He's seated at the right hand of His Father. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We owe our allegiance to Him. His blood shed on our behalf is, is it's the purchasing price. We're bought, folks. He bought us and we belong to Him. We don't do just anything we want to in this life. If I were still trying to please man, Paul says, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, the very goal of a servant of Christ is to please Christ, not anyone else. And that is the question for each of us. I'm not interested in whether or not you are raising your children and grandchildren in a manner that pleases you. The question is, are you raising your children and your grandchildren in a way that pleases Christ? That is the question. And that is the issue. As Matthew 25.14 says, Jesus has entrusted you with His property. And you know something? He's going to come back one day. And guess what He does when He comes back? He's going to take an account of you. And He wants to know how you have handled His property. He wants to know what you've done with what's been entrusted to you. I told you this last week and I'll emphasize it again. Those little children, those little grandchildren that you so often call yours and mine, they are His property. The Lord says in Psalm 50, every beast of the forest is Mine. The cattle on a thousand hills and it's implied, those are all Mine too. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is Mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are Mine. He says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. They're His. They belong to Him. Job 41.11, whatever is under the whole heaven is Mine. Somebody has rightly said, a preacher that I heard in the past, that Jesus Christ, He looks out at everything in this universe and He says, Mine. And it is. It is. This, folks, this is at the heart of our thinking with regards to our parenting about the preeminence of Christ. Christ Christ-centeredness. It starts here. Here is our preeminence of Christ. Our ear is tuned to His voice. Our eye is set upon His hand. 
As, as the Scripture speaks about the eyes, back in the Psalms, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their Master. And you know, the beauty about this, folks, is if He tells me to go plow the field like that example we had, guess what? He shows me where the field is. He gives me the tractor to do it. He gives me the gasoline for the tractor. Why? Because I'm a servant. I'm a slave. Guys, the, the slave owner back in the days of, of, of slavery in this country, if they told their slaves to go out to the field, well, obviously they'd tell them what field they wanted them to go to. They'd tell them where that field was. They'd give them bags to put the, the cotton in. I mean, they'd feed them at the end of the day. They'd give them a bed at the end of the day. You see, folks, when you're a servant, you don't supply all that stuff. You don't supply all the instruction. You don't have to know. All you have to do, I mean, the only thing at the heart of the matter is do what the Master told you. That's the trustworthiness. Every other thing and every single other thing in your life falls into His hands. And when it comes to your children, if He tells you how to do it, you don't have to worry and fret and lose sleep and roll over and over and over at night because you're simply the servant. I just get up in the morning. I do what the Master told me to do. And if He told me to do this with my kids, well, He's going to give me the tractor and He's going to give me the gasoline that I need to go out and do it. I mean, folks... Really, when you're a servant, it takes a huge amount of the burden off of your back. Right. It really does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it more complicated. It makes it far... It's only complicated, folks, if you don't want to obey Him. That's right. It's only complicated if you are not willing to submit to Him. Mm-hmm. Then, now, I need to I need to get to the very practical aspect of this. I'm going to talk about what it is the master wants. But before I jump to that, I want us to think for a second, folks. You know one thing? If if one of these slave owners off in Alabama or Georgia or wherever back during the days in slavery was rampant in in the South in our country, you know what? Some of those masters were cruel. Mm-hmm. Some of those masters, I mean, you can even have taskmasters like they had back in Egypt where they tell them, make the brick, and they don't give them everything that they need to do it. But I'll tell you this, our master isn't like that. When we talk about our master, we're talking about one whose love is not even measured. It's, it's, we're told in the Scriptures and Ephesians the, the height and the depth and the breadth. and the, Folks, we can't even measure this thing. I mean, He has so much love towards us. He loves us with an everlasting love. If we're children of God, that is the case. And He has promised... Folks, there is no lack. There is no deficiency in this Master. Not at all. We are told in Second Peter, it is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'll guarantee you folks, when it comes to directing your children towards life and towards godliness, everything you need has been supplied. Everything. Through Jesus Christ, God equips us. We're told in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, God equips you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. If God wants you to do anything in your life with regards to your children, anything at all that is according to His will and is pleasing to Him, it says He's equipped you with everything you need. There is no deficiency. There is no lack. There is nothing missing. Now, the question is not whether or not Jesus Christ is sufficient. The question is whether or not we are being faithful 
to the sufficient Master. I, I, you guys, I mean, if here we got the screen down still. If I said, hey, I've got a projector out there and I've got a DVD in it and I have the last one month of all your parenting instruction and the words that you've spoken to your kids and what you've done and how you've raised them and we're going to put it in right now. Now, it's all about you. It's not just everybody. It's just about you and we're going to throw it in there. You're a professing Christian. You say you believe the Bible. You say that you're a follower of Christ. Okay, well, let's pop that in and we're going to watch your parenting. It's going to be an example for us over the next half hour. We're just going to, we're going to, we're going to look at those little high points of your parenting over the last month. Now, probably if I said, okay, Delise, you're up first. <laughs> well, and I can put myself in that place. If you said, okay, Brother Tim, you're up first. Well, if I ran out, it probably wouldn't look too good. But <laughs> I'd sit here and take it and squirm and just be happy that I was first and getting out of the way. And that some of you guys might come afterwards and we'll forget all about me by that time. Hopefully. <laughs> guys, what does the Lord want from us? I mean, here's the thing. If, if we're His servants and, and we say, okay, Lord, I want to raise my children the way that You've told me. Everything in this world is Yours. I'm bought with a price. I'm Yours. My children are Yours. You've, you've entrusted me with Your possessions, with Your household. Lord, okay, I want to be like that servant back in Psalm and my eyes are set upon You. Lord, give me what I need. And so you say, okay, well, we come to the Word. And what do we find there? I want to know what His will is. I want Him to give me the grace to do His will. Guys, one of the reasons that I want that is just simply because I, I've seen what I can do. I mean, you, you know what you make of your life when you take it in your own hands? You've seen it. You've seen what you made of your life when you were lost. And you've seen what you make of your life these days when you try to take it into your hands as Christians. You see what comes of it. The Scripture says in Proverbs, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And we see, when we trust in ourselves, when we trust in our own thinking, it says lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, you're supposed to acknowledge Him. But a lot of times, folks, we do lean in our own understanding. We lean in the understanding that we glean from our parents and our grandparents. We lean in the way that the world wants to do things. And, and the Bible says we're fools, folks. We're fools when we do that. So, what is Christ's way? What is the way of the Master when it comes to my children? You guys, I, went, I, I, I scoured the New Testament. And there are only three imperatives in the entire New Testament that have to do with the parents' responsibility with the children. And one of them doesn't even specifically talk about parents. It's just it's it's a, an imperative. You guys, an imperative is certainly a, a verb form that that stresses a commandment. It is a command. There are three commandments from the master. Not, um, I want to give them to you. Here they are. <clears throat> Here are the three commandments that Jesus Christ gives to us. 
He said, the only three that I know of. I mean, I scoured the New Testament. I looked at every possible conceivable text. I tried to think with my mind. I tried to, you know, just, I, I, like I say, every usage of child and childs and children and children's and youth and infant. And I, I looked at everything that I could possibly look at. And here they are. Matthew 19.14, Jesus said, let, there's the imperative, let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them. You are to be about parenting in a way that will never hinder your child from coming to Christ. Not only not hinder them, but you are to let them come. You are to encourage them to come. That is one thing. The second thing is, Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke. Provoke is your imperative. And you have the not before it. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The third one. Actually, you have the second one repeated again here and then you have the third one repeated in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, again, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring, there's the imperative, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Only three texts. Not very much, is it? Out of 27 books of the New Testament, we only have three imperatives or commands from the Lord. Let the little children come to Me. Do not provoke your children to anger and bring the children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to tell you guys a few things about these three commands. First thing I want you to know is this. There are only three commands in all of the New Testament concerning our parenting. But, I want you to know this. First thing is, that doesn't mean that that's all the New Testament has to say about our parenting. There are other things. There are other references to children. There are other references. They're just not imperatives. They're not commands. They're things that are said to us that we can glean from and we will look at. Like, like what? Okay, 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must, this is speaking about the qualifications of an elder. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Well, okay, you can glean from that. Okay, our leaders are to be examples to us. They're to keep their children submissive. Can't we reason from there? You know, that, that's the pattern. That's the example. We ought to be doing the same. We ought to keep our children submissive. I mean, you have let the deacons, you know, manage their children. Well, we can conclude there. First Timothy 5.4, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. You know, we can learn things there. We ought to instill in our children to take care of their parents and their grandparents when they get old. You know, there's principles we can draw. Even Paul, speaking to the Thessalonians, he said, you know how like a father with his children... Again, we have that. Like a father with his children. Well, he's going to tell us how he dealt with the Thessalonians. We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. You know, he says this is like a father does to his children. So you can glean from that. Well, hey, he's given me some glimpse about what a godly father ought to be doing with his children. So, that's one thing. Just because those are the only three commands doesn't mean that's that's the only three things that we need to give consideration to. But, because they're commands, they definitely are, they are primary areas that we want to give our attention to. Second thing, although there may be few commands, don't ever mix few commands with them being little. And you understand that? I mean, we only have one command 
that says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? But that is no little command. Uh, it's just, just be, Listen, if you're a servant and Jesus Christ is your master and He only says something to you once, should you ever think, well, that must not be very important because He only says it once? No! The master takes seriously whatever His master tells Him. No matter how many or how few times He says it. The third thing is, folks, that although we definitely put a a primary focus, we, we put a lot of weight on the New Testament. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Simply because we have the greatest revelation possible in the New Testament. I mean, it unfolds shadows and hidden truths of the Old Testament. We interpret the Old Testament by the New. The New is clear. The New reveals Christ. The New reveals truth in a way the Old never did. That's why we go there. But folks... Christ Himself resorted to the Old Testament a lot of times. And New Testament Scripture itself says all Scripture is profitable for instruction. So we don't dismiss the Old Testament. We don't say, well, these are the only three commands because they're in the New Testament. No, the Old Testament actually, when it comes to child rearing, has a lot more to say. And so we are going to give some attention to that. But only after I... I show you that God very specifically tells us to give attention to it. And we'll look at that as well. The other thing is, fourth thing, repetition. When things are given one time, if our Master says it, it's important. But oh folks, if things are given to us more than once in the Scriptures, mm -hmm. they, they, that, that is a Hebrew teaching mechanism. That, that is a tool, a device that is used among the Hebrews. It's, it's repetition gives emphasis. You guys know when, when the Hebrew mind wants to make you know that God is holy, what does it do? I mean, God is very holy. It doesn't just say God is holy. It says God is holy, holy, holy. And there's repetition there. When Christ wants you to know something He says is important and it's true, He doesn't just say truly. He says truly, truly or verily, verily. There's emphasis in the repetition. Now, with that thought, isn't it amazing that when we're given three imperatives in the New Testament, one of them is repeated twice? And I have a feeling, folks, that many of you probably would not even think that in the, in the mind of my Master, this is an exceedingly important aspect to my parenting. Do you guys know what one is repeated twice? Do not provoke your children. Do you know why he says that? Because it obviously must be pretty easy to provoke your children. Because that must be a problem. That must be something that, that we fall into. Provoking your children to anger. Provoking them to resentment. Provoking them to wrath. Stirring them up. That's the idea. Provoke means to stir them up. Cause them to be angry, wrathful, resentful. Well, what I want to do is I'm just going to end the message right now in giving you guys some ways that you can provoke your children. If you guys are intent on disobeying Jesus Christ, I'll give you some good ways you can do it. I hope you realize that's being sarcastic in that. But you want to, you want to discourage your kids? You want to make them angry? You want to make them mad? You want to fill them full of resentment? I'll give you some good things to do. 
Parents, grandparents, heed these. At this place, I'm telling you this. The Master has said to us, don't provoke your children. Now what I've done is I've tried to think very practically through my life. I brought all my children in and talked to each one of them. How is it possible that you can be provoked? And what makes you angry? Listen, it's very possible a child can be angry and you did not necessarily immediately provoke that anger. But I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ does not want us to have angry kids. He doesn't. And if you have angry kids, I'll tell you, there's a problem in your parenting. There really is. I'm going to show you right now. One of the ways that you can provoke your children is by showing favoritism. All you have to do is play favorites. Clearly make it plain to your children or grandchildren that you care about one more than the other or the others. Clearly play the favorite. Want me to give you a good biblical example of this? Can you think of a man who made a coat of many colors for one of his children? And you know what it got him? It got him a life of having the very child who he treasured so much taken away from him for many, many years. Joseph. Who was his father? Jacob. And Jacob made a coat of many colors for him. He had how many sons? Twelve. And he gave a coat of many colors to one. And you know what? It filled ten of those brothers with so much resentment that they finally threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and he was gone. And the father was bereaved of him for years. And you know what? In a very great way, Jacob brought that on his own head. He did. He showed favoritism. And even if... You know why he showed favoritism? Because he had a favorite wife. He not only went beyond showing favoritism in his children, he showed them in his wives. And he had one, Rachel was his favorite wife, and that's why Joseph ended up being his favorite child because he was the firstborn of that favorite wife. You want to you stir your children up to anger? Stir them up to wrath? Stir them up to resentment? You want to agitate them? And you know what you do, folks? When you provoke your children to anger like that, what you do is you are a stumbling block that sends your child into sin. You are the cause. That's what Christ is saying through the the Apostle there. Do not be the cause of your children being filled with this resentment. Don't provoke them. Don't compare your children to each other. Don't say, I wish you were like your brother or I wish you were like your sister. You will cause them resentment. Don't buy things. I, I called, you know what? I called each one of my children out and I said, you know, I asked each one of them, if we let all the children sleep in our bed with us one night, but we made you sleep at the, end of the other end of the house, well, you guys don't even need me to tell you what all their answers were. You know. Because, and you know how you know? Because you don't like that. And your father doesn't treat you like that. You remember that love I talked about that it, it, we don't even can't comprehend its width and breadth, depth, height? Well, you know what? Jesus Christ shows that love to every one of His children. He doesn't show that specially to, to me and not to you or to you and not to me. I'm not saying He doesn't equip us differently. I'm not saying He doesn't have different things He wants us to do in this world. But I'm telling you this, you're the apple of His eye, whether you're the least of His children. And He shows His love and puts His arms around you. And when you show that favoritism, all you've got to do is mark one of those children out. And I'm, you know what? They're all different. And some of them might show you more affection, and some of them might just have personalities that are that are 
easier for you to receive, but that doesn't matter because some of you had personalities and you were in a way that God had every right to shun you and throw you out of His sight. But He didn't do it. And He's telling you, don't do it to your children. Don't provoke them. Don't make a favorite. Don't buy for this one and not for this one. Don't you do it. He specifically does not want you to do that. Another thing, selfishness. You just, as a parent, you just live a selfish life. You be consumed all about you, your wants, your needs, your everything, and you make that child feel like all the time. Make them feel like they're an inconvenience. They just, they're just, they're an intrusion into your life. And I'll tell you, you will stir up resentment and hatred and animosity in that child. And you know, I, I, I have to tell you, I really, I don't think I really realized this was happening when I grew up. But once I got older, looking back on my growing up years, I realized this. And this caused me a lot. I can't say that I ever looked at my, my parents and saw real noticeable um, favoritism. But I can tell you, this second one, I see it all over the place. You guys know, I played some football, and I played some basketball, and I played lots of baseball, some softball. From, from you know, I, I started Little League just from the time... Pretty much you could start playing. And I played all the way up till after I was out of college. And you know what? In all the years that I played, my parents, my, I, had a, I had a father, blood father, and then my mother and a stepfather. In all those years, my father never, 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 ever came to any game that I ever played in my life. Not for one minute. My mom, as best as I can remember, never, never, ever, ever came to anything that I did in my whole life. And when it comes to my stepdad, I think at one basketball game that I played and at one softball game I played, I think he showed up at the basketball game early because he was coming there to pick me up. And at the softball game, of course, I was already out of college even, he walked over and watched part of that game. That's all I can remember in my life. You know what? They had time to do everything under the sun that they wanted to do. They had time to tend to their garden and watch TV and come home and plant all their, their shrubbery and their trees and make their house look beautiful. But they would not come to my brother. and My, my brother and I were only 11 and a half months apart, so we generally played on the same teams. They wouldn't come to watch either of us. They, they simply wouldn't do it. They wouldn't. And you know what? My mom was, was so um, bent on living for her life, the, the successful woman you know, in the workplace, that she was always routing us off to some babysitter. Never enough time in her life to take care of us. I remember I had an aunt that, not godly by any stretch, but she was a stay-at-home mom. And I can remember growing up just... Oh, I desired to have that. I desired to come off the school bus and have a mom who was at home. But that didn't happen. Oftentimes there was nobody at home. And my brother and I got in lots of trouble, believe me, because of it. Or she was routing us off to some babysitter. Some babysitter, usually they were foul-mouthed women, wicked women, and eventually she got us with some high school girl that was into drugs, into kiss, into Alice Cooper. And guess what? Before I was even a teenager, I was into all those things. Doing drugs. This woman would smoke cigarettes, bring boyfriends over. They'd come with beer. They'd have dope. And before long, I was on it. And she was smoking it with us. And you know what? I look back on my life now and I've got resentment about that. Not that I can't forgive my mom, but I look at that and I say, you know what? She messed up bad. That's it. And, and 
My sin is my fault. And I'm to blame for it. But you know what? She is too. You want to resent your kids? You just live a life like that. You just make them think that they're a nuisance. And they're constantly an invasion into your life. And I'll, I'll guarantee you will provoke your children. You know what? Jesus Christ came into this world and He gave His life's blood for us. He made Himself poor so that we might be rich. And now He says, and, and ladies, you know what? You, you go that path. You go that path. you got little children. You just live your life in the workplace. Why? And you know why that generally is? Because we got to have houses. we got to have two cars. we got to have this. we got to meet up with the Jones. It's better off you sell all that stuff. Go live in a house half as price and be there for the kids. And Jesus Christ is calling you to it. You have been endowed with His children. I know we like to call them ours. They're mine, He says. They're mine. You raise them. I'll tell you another way. You want to provoke your children? Overindulgence is another one. Take a child. Take a grandchild. Give them everything they want under the sun. When they want something, give it to them. You know what? Your little child wants a soda, you give them to them. See up there? Today... No soda inside. And you know what? Sometimes I'll see little kids and there they, they'll have the soda. I hope none have it today. And you know why? Sometimes there are parents who will say, well, or grandparents, I'm going to give my children what they want even though I realize that they're saying this in the church because I want to make my child happy. And you know what? You're on a road. Just give your child everything. Give them everything under the sun. When they want a cookie, you give it to them. When they want a soda, you give it to them. When they want this toy, you give it to them. You give them everything. Don't give them any responsibility in their life. Pick up after them all the time. Anytime. Hey, Oh, if you ever see another child with one of their toys, you make sure you go over to that child and you get that toy away and you give it back to your child. Never make them share. You pick up after them their whole life. Let them make messes. Let them leave dishes around. You pick them up all the time. And I'll tell you, you'll provoke your child. Because you know what's going to happen? There's going to come a day in their life when somebody's going to require something of them. They're going to face this cruel world out here. They're going to see they're not the center of everybody else's life. There's going to be a day when they're going to be confronted by the law or by work or by a school. And somebody's going to say, you've got to do this. And then they're going to be up in arms and they're going to be mad and they're going to be angry because somebody's requiring something of them for once in their lifetime. You spoil those children and give them everything they want under the sun. There's going to be a day, folks, when you're going to reap that. You will reap that. You'll reap the benefits of that. Overindulgence. Teach your kids to accept no. You know what? I can tell you if you're on that path right now by simply telling you to do this one thing. Next thing your child asks for, tell them no. If your child goes up in arms, you see what you've done? You've provoked them to anger. If you say no to your children and they can't handle that, or you say no to your grandchildren and they can't handle that, you are doing exactly what I'm talking about here. Exactly. Because what, you see what you've done? By your overindulgence, now you have brought your child to a place of anger. Now, they're angered because they're selfish. But you're at fault because you haven't killed that thing. You haven't raised that child to be able to accept no. Your children, every one of our children, ought to be able to be told no. And they ought to be able to happily go on their way. You know what? Jesus Christ doesn't give everything you want. 
Because He knows that many of the things that we want aren't dangerous. And if you're giving your children everything, you're poisoning that child. You're giving things to that child or that grandchild that are not healthy for them. Jesus Christ says no to you and me a lot. He does. He doesn't do it because He hates us. He does it because He loves us. And He does it because He wants us submissive to Him. Oh, you're making that child conceited, selfish, full of himself? Don't do it. Don't do it. All you'll do is that child will come back and will cause you grief. A child left to himself like that is going to be your sorrow. He will take your gray heads down to your grave in sorrow. I guarantee it. You may delight to see... I like to see my children smile. I like to give them things. But I want them to have eternal life. I want them to have Christ more than any of these things. I'll tell you another thing that will provoke your children. Inconsistency. If you have a child who... Listen, you got a little child and he says to you, No. Oh, folks. Your chil- I'll tell you one thing that he wants your children to do. He commands the children. Now, he doesn't give the parent this command, but he gives the children this command. You're to be obedient to your parents. When a child says no to you, they are not being obedient to you. Your child says no. Or the child hits the mom. Your child should never strike a parent. And I see that. I see some of your little children hit or push away their parents or say no to them. That is a, that is a parenting failure right there. And, and you know what happens? We say no you're not supposed to say no to mommy. And we go give them a spanking. And then the next time they do it, we give them a little verbal rebuke, but we don't give them a spanking. You see, one time they get away with it. The next time, they don't get away with it. And then they get away with it again. You know what? Children are always going to test the boundaries. And boundaries give children security. Children want security. They want to know the boundaries. But this time you spank them for it. Next time you don't. This time you deal with this thing this way. That time you don't. Folks, there's got to be inconsistency. Or there's got to be consistency in your life. Because you know what happens? You spank that child for something they got away with and you're stirring them up. They can be stirred to anger. Well, why are you spanking me for this? You didn't spank me last time. You know what you're doing? You're training your children. When you don't, discipline a child for something, you're sending a clear indication that that's not wrong. It's okay. And then the next time they do it, you do spank them. You talk about frustrating a child. That will cause the frustration. If your child does something that's wrong, it needs to be wrong every single time they do it. And you need to deal with it appropriately every single time. I'm not saying you need to necessarily spank them or spank them the same every time because, folks, the goal isn't spanking. The goal is brokenness and repentance. And you know what? Sometimes we need one major rod on the back. But sometimes, like with Peter, all it took was a glance from the eyes of the Lord and he was broken and he wept. Repentance is the issue. Brokenness. Contriteness. You want to bring your children to a place of contriteness when they show rebellion. That's that's the aim. Because ultimately, folks, you want them to submit to the Master we're submitted to. Fight. You want to provoke your children? I remember my cousin. Oh, when he got old enough, boy, he'd tear his dad's head off. He grew up... He grew up watching his dad beat up his mom, both physically and verbally. 
You guys, you guys want to provoke your children? Fight in front of them. And you don't have to be physical to provoke them. Because I'll tell you what, that little children, that little child, they're going to watch that fight. And you know what? That one in that fight that they believe is the aggressor, I mean, if they believe mom is tearing up dad, criticizing him, backbiting him, tearing him down, she goes after him, she nags and bugs and You know what? The children will realize that. They'll begin to resent mom because of their love for their dad. Or dad, you get rough with that, that mother they love so much, they'll begin, to, they'll begin to hate you. You'll fill them with anger. Just fight in front of them. You ought not to be fighting like that any time as Christians. You ought to be able to... You ought to be able to peacefully and softly and gently work through your problems. That doesn't mean you don't get stirred up about some things or there aren't disagreements. But fighting openly like that, you will fill your children with resentment. Another thing you can do, set too high a standard. Set a standard that your children can never meet. And just talk down to them all the time like they're failures. They can't do it when it comes to their grades or something else in their life. Set, you know what? We're the set. We like to achieve goals. And you know what? As we're going through this life, we're, the goal set before us is Christ-likeness. And you and I don't come up to that yet. And yet, how often does the Lord come along and He puts His arm around us and He gives us encouragement? That'll provoke children. Insufficient discipline. You guys want to know why sometimes your children are angry? It's because you haven't brought them to the place of repentance in the discipline. You know what? If you spank your child and they're angry, you're not spanking your child enough. Because the goal is not just, well, I did my little duty. I did, I spanked. That isn't it. Folks, whether it's in your words, whether it's the glance like Christ to Peter, whether it's in actually taking the paddle or the rod and spanking your child, the end result you want is brokenness, not anger. If, if all your spanking does is provoke your child to anger, you're not doing it right. And it might be that you're not meeting out enough or it might be that you're just being a hypocrite and the very things you tell your child not to do, you're doing in front of him. You know, one thing that our disciplining our children is, is oftentimes a rebuke to us. Wow, I'm spanking my child for this and I need to be spanked for this. Or, or you can just ignore them. Just ignore your child. You'll provoke them to anger because I'll tell you this. They will begin to do things to get your attention and there'll be things that you won't like and, and you just ignore them. They will try to... And you know what? You ignore them long enough and they'll realize... They'll come to a point with, okay, I don't want your attention. And you know what? That little girl's going to start getting the attention of the boy down the street. And that'll happen too. Abusive words... There's a number of ways, folks, that we can provoke our children. Folks, you know why we don't want to provoke our children to anger? You know why we don't want to stir them up? The reason, folks, you stir up your children. You provoke them all the time. You provoke them. You ignore them. You play favorites. You speak down. You fight. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. As I was getting close to, to my college years, close to my graduation in high school, my mom and my stepdad would fight. And you know what? I resented it. I hated it. And you know what? I did not want to be at home. I know a little girl that my children know. And she's not even a teenager yet. 
And she is a father who for the most part ignores her. I, I know she has made the comment to my daughters. She sees us wrestling on the floor and me doing things with my kids. And she has told my daughters she cannot wait. She's not even a teenager. She can't wait till she gets out of the home. You know what? When you consistently provoke your children, when you consistently fight, speak down to them, set too high a standard, you provoke them, they're going to want nothing more than to get out of your house and get away. You may think, oh, my child loves me because I spoil him so much and I give him everything under the sun. I'll guarantee that child will be the first one to break your heart. And the one that you ignored and turned your back on will end up being the best and the most faithful child to you in the end. You watch. That'll be the case. Mark my words. Folks, we don't want our children to be repulsed from our home and from our houses, from our households. We want them to find protection there. We want them to find godly counsel there. We want them to find a refuge there. We want them to find an escape there, not to be wanting to escape from there. You want to create that, that little place of peace and rest and safety where you're showing them Christ. And I'll tell you something else they'll do. You provoke those children. You provoke them with your hypocrisy. You provoke them with your favoritism. You provoke them with a life like that. And what they'll do is they'll throw your Christ and your Christianity right in your face. Because they are identifying the Christ you say you believe with the way that you are acting and with the way you're living. That's always the case, folks. People view our God through us. And your children are viewing your God and your Christ and your Bible through you. And don't be surprised if you sit there and provoke your kids for year after year after year whether they don't throw it all in your face and they don't want anything to do with your church, your Bible, your God, or anything. They just want out. And it will happen. Don't provoke your children, folks, because it's right at the heart of being a very stumbling block that, that's going to prevent us from carrying out the other thing. Let the little children come to me. You provoke them and they're not going to come to Him. You provoke your children long... Oh, I'm not saying God can't work through grace and bring a child that's wayward and gone off and there can't be prodigals and all that stuff. But I'm saying the general way God works is godly parents instructing the children, give them a home that's a safety and a refuge and showing them Christ and imitating... Christ before them and the little children look at that and say, I want to be like mommy and I want to be like daddy and I want their God and I want their God to be mine. Well, I hope you guys will take that to heart. Because if He tells it to us twice, I guarantee this, it must be pretty easy and it must be pretty common for us to be provoking our children to anger for Him to say that and to say it twofold. So please, give heart and give thought and give heed. Father, I I just I pray Lord that Lord, I know that I don't have this perfectly worked out. Lord, I I want it to be and I I just pray Lord for your grace upon this church to help us and uphold us and Lord, we are the servants. You've told us how to deal with these children that you've committed to us. Lord, we don't want to ignore this. I don't want to. Lord, I pray that You'd give us much wisdom and grace to carry on, to be consistent, to not show favorites, to not speak harshly, to not be hypocrites, to not fight. Lord, to not overindulge our children, to not make them feel like they're unwanted, but to heap love upon them, to be faithful to their souls. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
You're dismissed. Can you, uh, we need to get set up for uh, the afternoon meal, so please.